Good morning. Good morning. One announcement before we, uh, before we get into the sermon. If you missed out on Revelation, well, it's a little too late. Uh, we are done with our Revelation series. I do have all the class notes compiled, uh, and I tried to make them pretty self-explanatory. You could kind of walk through yourself if you went over the notes yourself. Uh, it took us nearly half a year, so that was quite a few Sundays, but now we're going to turn our direction to spiritual gifts, and if you remember, I did preach a series on the Spirit. We kind of addressed who the Spirit is, intentional wording there, who the Spirit is, not what the Spirit is, because the Spirit is not a what. Uh, and I guess I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll get those links on YouTube and put them on Facebook so you can go back and take a look at those, because uh, it would make more sense to listen to those and then to, if you want to attend class, again, this is going to be a class over the spiritual gifts starting next week. But if you want to refresh your memory, the sermons on the Spirit are on, I'll post them on Facebook. So next week, class on the Spirit. Uh, it's one of those things where it's best to start attending then and attend through, and it'll make more sense if you were there for every one. Now that being said, our sermon today, as you can see, seeking to see signs. Uh, if one thing you're going well, you probably noticed this already, maybe you've noticed this before as you read through the Gospels, Jesus has a different experience with his own people, the Jews, and those who are not his people. There's a different experience there. Typically, when you read the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus actually has more of a negative experience with his own people, those who are not of his people, who are not Jews. Right? In fact, the Jews, his own people, they, they did not accept him. John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people, the Jews, they did not receive him. In fact, as we know, they wanted to kill him and they did kill him. Uh, but even early on in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, one thing you see is that his own people specifically from Nazareth, wanted to kill him. This is after Jesus had preached a sermon there. And the text says, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. These are people from his hometown, Nazareth. All right, which, if I remember correctly, that's no bigger than this town. And as you all know, know a lot of people in the town. You know of a lot of people. So those people who were running to throw him off the cliff, they knew him. People who watched him grow up. His own people wanted to kill him early on. In contrast, what we saw in John chapter 4, the Samaritans, uh, people that the Jews viewed as unclean, right? And remember, that's because the Samaritans are Jews who mixed with Assyrians. Again, it wasn't a racial issue, it was a cultural issue. They were the same race, different cultures. Right? The Assyrians were of a pagan culture. The Jews were obviously believing in one God, the God. Right? And so they viewed Samaritans as unclean, as people not to associate with. But Jesus, he comes to Samaria and they accept him. Not only do they accept him, many come to believe in him. And that's in contrast to his own people, his own people who did not accept him, his own people that wanted to kill him from early on, and his own people who eventually handed him over to be killed. And now look what he does 
After staying with the Samaritans in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 43, the text says, After two days he departed for Galilee. Now remember, Galilee, that is Jesus' area. That's where he's from. Jesus is from Galilee, which is where Nazareth was located. And so he decides to go back to Galilee. Like, wait a minute, Jesus. Do you not remember what happened in Galilee? Do you not remember how your own people didn't accept you? Do you not remember how your own people wanted to throw you off of a cliff? And so he decides to go back to Galilee. It doesn't make sense to us. Verse 44 makes it a little weirder. So it says in verse 43, after two days he departed for Galilee. Verse 44, for or because Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. How does that make sense? That, that for there in your translation, that is a causative. It's because and so it's essentially saying that he decides to go back to Galilee because he doesn't, he's not accepted. Wait, what? It's kind of like, is John pulling our leg again when he talks about in John chapter 3 that no one receives him but whoever receives him? Are you pulling our leg, John? Are you messing with us? How can Jesus decide to go back to a place? Why would he decide to go back to a place? Because they do not Accept him. Verse 45 makes it a little weirder. It says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he decides to go back to Galilee because they do not accept him, but when he came back to Galilee, they accept him. That doesn't make sense. What are, you, what are you talking about, John? Why would Jesus do that and why would they accept him? I thought you just said they don't accept him. So why are they accepting him now? Pay close attention to that last half of verse 45. It says, Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now what signs... What did he do at this feast? Well, the Gospel of John doesn't explicitly say what he did other than the fact that he drove people out of the temple. I remember there were people, money changers, taking advantage of those coming to make sacrifices. And he drives them out of the temple, but it doesn't explicitly say what signs he did. But take a look at John chapter 2 real quick. Go back to John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now remember, Jesus, as we already covered, he he went back to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? The Passover being a time of celebration for how God delivered them from Egypt, How God delivered the Jews from slavery in Egypt, and they believed. Why? Because they saw the signs. They didn't believe him. I think this is why the text says that he did not trust himself to them. They just wanted to see the cool things he could do. They just wanted to see the signs. They were seeking to see signs. 
So John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45, it might be confusing at first, but it makes sense. Jesus decides to go back to a place where he's not accepted for whatever reason, uh, but then they accept him. But they're not really accepting him. They only accept him because he did some cool things. They're not accepting him as Savior or as Messiah. They're not accepting him as the Samaritans did. They accept him because they saw a miracle. Verse 46 in chapter 4. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, as the text says, back to Cana, where he made the water into wine. We saw that in John chapter 2. And so I can imagine word is spread about Jesus in Cana. All the people in Cana probably want him over for weddings to make that wine. So word is spread. And as the second half of verse 46 says, there is an official whose son was ill. That word there for official is probably meaning uh, somebody who is in the king's court. Right? The, the term for official is basilikas. That's the Greek word. And the Greek word for kingdom is basileia. Right? You can see how that's connected. So this official here, he probably serves in the king's court. And who was the king in this area at the time? Herod Antipas. Who is Herod, you ask? That's the same Herod that had John the Baptist imprisoned. That's the same Herod who kills John the Baptist. So the stage is set. Jesus is in Cana. Uh, This official who likely serves Herod, here's that he's in Cana. This official who could be considered the enemy, because remember, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, So Jesus is well aware of what Herod has done. Herod has imprisoned his cousin, and now it's not too too, uh, clear as to whether or not he kills him before this event or not, Uh, but he's likely imprisoned at this time. And so the official could be viewed as the enemy, and he has a sick son. Verse 47 says this, When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now this official, remember, he's from Capernaum. If we could go to the next slide. He's from Capernaum. Uh, That's not the best picture, is it? I'm going to step down here real quick. Mm. And I realize that not many people have that great of eyesight, because I'm standing right here and I can see it, but I know that farther away you might be able to see it. So Capernaum is... At the top left corner of the Sea of Galilee, you can see it right there in sort of the middle of the map. And then Cana is diagonally to the left from Capernaum. Now, Cana to Capernaum is about, it's over 15 miles. It's over 15 miles. It's almost like traveling from here to Murfreesboro, all right? And remember, they did not have the same forms of transportation as we do today, right? They would either be walking or traveling on a camel or a donkey. I'm not too sure how that would have looked, but... It was much more of a hassle to travel even what we would think is a short distance, 15 miles. But to them, that's not a short distance. All right? And if you were to walk from here to Murfreesboro, if you were to walk from Capernaum to Cana, that would take you, if you didn't stop, about over six and a half hours. So apparently, word of Jesus has just spread that much. So much so that this official was willing to walk or travel that far. 
And he asked Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son. And look at how Jesus responds in verse 48. Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now at first glance, you might think, Well, come on, Jesus. Where's your compassion? His son is dying. Unfortunately, our English translation doesn't always serve us best. This word there that he uses, you, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That word there for you is plural. He's talking to this man, but he uses a plural you. Y'all, all right? So let's give you a Texas translation. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. He's talking to this man, yes, but he's also talking about the people surrounding. He's talking about the people in the area. The people only believe in him because they want to see a sign. They want to see something cool. They want Jesus to put off some fireworks. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. They were only seeking him because they wanted to see a sign. I don't think Jesus is being rude. I think he's talking to the surrounding people, and I think he's also challenging this man. I think he wants to see if he's going to respond in faith and trust. And look at how he responds. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't respond to Jesus. You insensitive jerk. He doesn't stomp away. He says, my child, come down. My child is going to die. That word there for child is often used as a term for endearment in the Greek. He loves his son. This official loves his son. And that's pretty evident. He travels over 15 miles, which is not a small thing back then. He travels over 15 miles to come to a man he's never met, to come to a man he's never had a conversation with, that he's only heard about, a street preacher who allegedly is doing miracles. He comes to somebody he does not know to ask if he could enact a miracle, to ask if he could heal his son. Jesus responds in verse 50. He said to him, Go, your son will live. See, Jesus is just that great. He doesn't even need to physically be there in order for him to enact a miracle. And notice that Jesus, he doesn't do what he requests. The man, he asked Jesus, could you come down? Could you come with me to Capernaum so that you could heal, your, heal my son? And notice the last half of verse 50, the second half. He doesn't respond to Jesus, but Jesus, you've got to be there. Jesus, I need you to be there. Jesus, I need to see a spectacle. I need you to do something amazing. I need to see it, Jesus. He doesn't say that. Instead, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He doesn't need a spectacle. He doesn't need to see Jesus shoot off some fireworks. He doesn't trust the miracle. He trusts Jesus. More specifically, he trusts, he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Verse 51 it says that as this official was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. That word they're recovering, that's the same word as 
live. Jesus tells him, go and your son will live. And the servants tell him that your son is recovering. Your son lives. Go, your son will live. Your son lives. It's exactly as Jesus said. Verses 52 and 54. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he when he come from Judea to Galilee. It happened at the exact moment Jesus said, Your son will live. Do you believe in miracles? I know in the past that our church tradition has been uh, very conservative when it comes to our theology about miracles, signs. I think we made a mistake. Uh, used to, people think that they only occurred then, uh, and it, to be fair, it is true that they serve the purpose to attest to who Jesus is. That's true. But no, we, we limit God when we say that they only happened then. It doesn't happen today. You know how many first-hand accounts I've heard of people recounting something that the doctors gave them no hope? And then somehow they survived, somehow. Let's talk about someone. Who is that someone that sustained them? So there are too many first-hand, first-hand accounts I've heard to say that miracles just, they don't happen. I absolutely, absolutely do. They believe, I believe they happen today. And as we see in this text, Jesus, he doesn't need to be there. Jesus doesn't need to physically be somewhere in order to enact a miracle. He can just say it, and it's so. I think we should pray for God's miraculous work, but, and I think uh, God still does that today. I think God enacts miracles today, and I could list arguments for why I think that's true. I could list arguments for why I think that's true, but think about this. I heard this recently. It was a good re- reasoning, a good argument, if you will. What would you have to do in the span of three years for word to spread about your name so much that your name is the most well-known name for 2,000 years and nobody's close? What would you have to do? It it baffles me that some people, regardless of the arguments I could give you to why Jesus was a real historical person and why Jesus actually did what he did, what would you have to do? Even the people with uh, an insane amount of influence today don't even come close to how Jesus has influenced the world. Oprah is not even close to Jesus. And she's got a lot of money. Jesus, he didn't have worldly wealth. He didn't want to build a worldly kingdom to where everybody would just like bend down, give them all these physical things. And uh, Jesus didn't force anybody to worship him. Jesus wasn't concerned about 
how he looked. Jesus wasn't concerned about money. I think his influence is let alone enough proof of who he is. There's not a single person who has been more influential than Jesus himself. So when I ask you, what would you have to do? Well, we can't do anything. We can't rival that. Can't even come close. We're not even close to Oprah influence. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And Oprah is not even close to Jesus influence. I do think we should seek and pray for God's, not seek miracles, but pray for God's miraculous work. Why? Not because we, we seek the miracle, but because we seek God and we want others to see God. Jesus' hometown people, they welcomed him, but they welcomed him because of the signs. They welcomed him because they thought he did some cool things. And I said this before a few weeks ago, I'm going to say it again, the signs are not the center. What do signs do? As we know, signs signal to something. Rather, these signs, these miracles, signal to someone. And that's that he is the Son of God. I think the official gets this. He doesn't need a spectacle. He doesn't need Jesus to be there in order to heal his son. He trusts Jesus. He doesn't need the miracle. He doesn't seek the miracle. So I tell you, don't trust Jesus because you think he did cool things. Trust Jesus because of who he actually is. You can put put your trust in him as we stand and sing.